Good morning. Thank you for being the chosen frozen today. Coming out to worship. I appreciate you being here. I want to thank all of you that came out on Monday night. I challenged you pretty hard last week to be a part of faith and praise God. We double the number of people that go out on faith on Monday night and we had some great visits and I just deeply appreciate that so much. Thank you for responding and uh, thank you for uh, taking an interest in reaching our community for Christ. I also want to thank all the young kids. I know they're out, but you can tell them I thanked them later. We had an awesome number of young children involved in the uh, Valentine's uh, fundraising dinner we had last night. I think there were probably 25, 30 kids that were here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Teresa's doing a great job in leading in that respect. And, and uh, I think we've already got, and, and this is this time of year. We're still early. We've got 40 kids signed up for camp already. 40 kids I expect that number to probably increase by another 10, 12, 15, maybe more. Somebody said, yeah, and that's going to be really good. You got four adults going. <laughs> no, 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 no. We take, we take one adult for every four kids. We're not crazy. We, uh, we have great leadership. We're going to talk about leadership today. And, uh, I, uh, I like the subject. I've done a lot of reading on that subject. I've studied it now for a number of years. I'm going to start off this morning with a quote from John Maxwell. He is the, the guru on leadership. If you want to know anything about leadership, get some John Maxwell books and read. You'll learn a lot. Listen to what he says. He says, leadership is leadership no matter where you go or what you do. Times change. Technology marches forward. Cultures vary from place to place, but the true principles of leadership are constant. Whether you're looking at the ancient citizens or the citizens of ancient Greece, the Hebrews of the Old Testament, the armies of the last 200 years, the rulers of modern Europe, the pastors of local churches, or the business people of today's global economy, leadership principles stand the test of time. They are irrefutable whether you're a follower who is just beginning to discover the impact of leadership or a natural leader who always has follow, already has followers, you can become a better leader. Although it's true that some people are born with greater natural gifts than others, the ability to lead is really a collection of skills, nearly all of which can be learned and improved. The good news is that your leadership ability is not static. No matter where you're starting from, you can get better. Amen? I like that. Leaders are found just about everywhere you look. Most everyone leads at some point in some form or another. You will lead. There are, even within the framework of the church, at least five forms of leadership, and I want to touch on them right to begin with. There are what we would call pastors or elders that lead their congregation. Peter talks about it. He says, and now a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share his glory and his honor when he returns. As a fellow elder, this is my appeal to you. 
care for the flock of God entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. And when the head shepherd comes, your reward will be a never-ending share in his glory and honor. The Apostle Paul, when he gathered those Ephesian pastors together, said, Now beware, be sure that you feed and shepherd God's flock, his church purchased with his blood, over whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. So every church should have pastors. We call them elders or pastors. Either one of those terms is sufficient. The second form of leadership that I find that's very important and talked a lot about in Scripture is the family spiritual leader that leads their homes, their families to know and to serve and to worship God. Every family needs a spiritual leader. Every family. Men, that may very well be your greatest calling to be the spiritual leader of your homes. It is sad And it's unfortunate that so many mothers have to pick up that responsibility and take on that task and lead their family to know the Lord. But that's not your God-given role if you're a mother. That role is the responsibility of a father. And we need fathers to step up and be the spiritual leaders of their home. When the Apostle Paul was writing the church at Thessalonica, he said, you yourselves are our witnesses and so is God that we were pure and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. That's very important. As a father treats his own children. He says in verse 12, we pleaded with you, we encouraged you, and we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you into his kingdom to share his glory. Folks, that is what a spiritual leader is supposed to do. We are supposed to lead our family to know and to worship and and to please God and to live in a way that we do please God. Uh, the uh, The vast majority of fathers never do that in our society today. We see it very seldom. Uh, But we're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of our home, and we're supposed to lead. The very best way that you can do that is to set a good and godly example for your kids, for your wife to follow. One thing for sure, you will never be able to lead them where you've never been. You've got to go into the presence of God in order to be able to lead your family there. I've told many men this in, in counseling You know, if you'll just step up to the plate and be the spiritual leader that your family needs, your wife and children will follow you anywhere. They're hungry for that. And God needs you to take on that role. Solomon said, the godly walk with integrity. Integrity. So important that there be integrity in the home. Fathers, if you'll walk with integrity, look what it says. Blessed are their children after them. If you'll be a man of integrity, your children will be blessed. Why? Because they follow a good example and a godly example. When Paul wrote to Timothy encouraging him to be the pastor that he had been called to be, he said these words. He must manage, and he's talking about leaders or a leader. He must manage his own family well with children who respect and obey him. 
For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church, the family of God? Friends, before anyone should be given an opportunity to lead in the church, they must first manage their own family well. They need to be good leaders. So we have pastors. We have spiritual leaders in the church. We also see ministry leaders, people who are mature believers that lead their different ministry teams or ministry groups. At Harvest, we have always been very blessed to have both godly men and godly women leading in different respects throughout the church. And I thank God for that. We're very blessed. There's an abundance of leaders, and we're grateful that you step up and lead. We also have teachers that lead the the ministries of their different Bible study classes and groups. Every Bible study class has a very important ministry, and it's, it's far more than just teaching the Word of God, although that is first and foremost a priority, to teach the Word of God to the people that you've been entrusted as their leader. You're to teach them the Word of God. But you also have the responsibility to lead your class to care for each other, to minister to one another, to be there for one another, to build those relationships. You also have a responsibility to lead your class to be involved in reaching out to the lost. We said very early on in the life of Harvest that it was a goal of ours to have every Sunday school class in our church represented by a faith team who goes out on Monday night. And we still need that. It's very important. Sunday school is the greatest outreach arm of the church, and we need to be involved in that. We also, as leaders and teachers, need to be mentoring new teachers so that we can plant new Sunday school classes. I want you to just think about this. We've got room to grow. We've got plenty of chairs to grow into. Amen? For every Sunday school class you start, you have the potential of growing your class by 20 or growing your church by 25 people. So if you start four new Sunday school classes this year, guess what? You can grow by 100 people. Sound like a worthy goal? Yes. Some of us just need to step up and be Sunday school class teachers. We can do that. Look at what Paul said to Timothy. You have heard me teach many things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Teach these great truths to trustworthy people who are able to pass them on to others. Work hard so God can approve you. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. The Lord's servants must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. They must be able to teach effectively and be patient with difficult people. Y'all don't know any of those, do you? He says, and, and they, should be, they should gently teach those who oppose the truth. Then they will come to their senses. Or he says, oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those hearts, those people's hearts, and they will believe the truth, and they will come to their senses and escape the devil's traps, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. You can never have enough godly teachers teaching the Word of God. It's very important. I see another group of leaders that we need to think about, and that is our future leaders. Boys and girls, children, youth. We are blessed. I mean, just stop and think about the potential of the children that we have in this church. What can God do with them? 
It's amazing what God can do with them. They have so much potential. There's a passage in Proverbs where Solomon said, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, if you do your homework and study that passage, you're going to find that it has about three primary meanings. But one of those that I think is probably the most important is that we need to train up our children so that they can reach their full potential for God. God's got something for every child to do, every person. We need to help them figure out what that is and help them to grow into that. Why? Because one of these days we're going to get old. Hello. And we're going to need to pass on the baton of leadership to them and they need to be able to lead this church in the future. Amen. I'll never forget going to that first youth camp with about a thousand students to Coal Falls, Georgia at the assembly grounds. And uh, we had a king and queen camper that week and a 16-year-old boy stood in front of a thousand students and about 350 of us older people, counselors. And he was really wise for his time. He said, you old folks think that we are the church of the future but we're really the church of here and now and if you don't pay attention to us now there won't be a church in the future 16 year old boy said that how wise was he there's an old story of how one day a beautiful frog or beautiful excuse me girl kissed a frog (laughs) are there any beautiful frogs I don't know. We've all heard the story. It appeared to be just a simple kiss, but it was more than a simple kiss. As it turned out, it was not quite that simple. Regardless of what she thought, the moment that she touched her soft lips to the slimy skin of the frog, there was an awesome transformation that took place. The little lime green frog was then transformed into a handsome young prince. Thus the prince was liberated to be all that he could be. What that girl did for the frog, leaders do for their followers every day. Leaders are in a unique position to help their followers develop their own leadership skills and become uh, what they need to be and what God created them to be. They then, once they've been liberated and been taught, can become everything that God created them to be. We've been talking about Paul probably now for months. We've talked about how Paul was, um, he was a missionary. He was a church planner. He was a pastor teacher. He was an elder. He was an apostle. He was an evangelist. We looked at that last week. We saw how he was also, and we'll look at it in depth today, how he was a God-called leader. He led a whole host of church planting missionaries that went out and planted churches in areas where there were no churches. He was a, a man that had a passion for establishing leadership in those churches once those churches got up and were running. He also was a man that had passion for equipping leaders and then challenging them to become the leaders that God needed them to be. We've been talking about how Paul was headed back to Jerusalem and on this one occasion he had opportunity to gather the leaders from Ephesus down in this little seaport town and there he encouraged them to be the leaders that 
they needed to be. And this is what he said. He said, and now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. Let me say plainly that I have been faithful. No one's damnation can be blamed on me. There's another translation that says, if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I did not shrink from declaring all that God wants from you. I have prayed that I would one day be able to stand before God and say the same thing. And that's why I made it a part of my strategy in my membership class. For every person that's ever joined Harvest Fellowship, I have shared with you how to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody goes through my class that doesn't get that. So one day I can truly stand before the Lord and say, hey, if they wind up in hell, it's not my fault. And that, shouldn't that be the, the, the desire of our church? Amen? To point as many people to Christ as we possibly can, give them everything they need to know about how to make that decision to be a believer and not a lost person. Paul was simply saying, I have told you the truth about God's expectation for you and for the church. You have so much potential to impact your world for Christ. He's saying to be successful, the church needs you leaders, you elders, you pastors to be the spiritual leaders. And guess what? Churches need godly pastors. They need spiritual leaders in the home. They need teachers and they need ministry team leaders. And they need future leaders that are being developed all along so that one day when we hand it over to them, the church can move on nice and smoothly and easy. In our study today, you're going to see that Paul lays out five priorities that a church leader needs to establish and maintain. And can I just say that these priorities are mission critical to good leadership. And I hope you will take them to heart and, and, and practice these because in some way you are a leader. Beginning in verse 28, Paul expresses that for you to be an effective leader, you first have to be right with God in your heart. Look at what he says. And now beware. Be on guard for yourself. Circle the word yourself. Be on guard for yourself. We're always looking at other people and what we can do to help them. Paul says first make sure you're helping yourself. Make sure that you're right in your heart with God. John MacArthur says the first priority of anyone involved in spiritual leadership is his own relationship to God. Effective ministry is not merely an outward activity. It is the overflow of a rich, deep relationship with God. You have to first be right between you and God. There can be no sin between you and God. You've got to be a person who has a clean heart. Why? Because there's good reason. Jesus warned. He says, you must be careful. And he's talking to his apostles, his, his leaders there. He said, people will arrest you and take you to court and beat you in their synagogues. You'll be forced to stand before kings and governors to tell them about me. This will happen to you because you follow me. Americans have lived kind of like in a hidden valley and Christians have never been persecuted but I got news for you that persecution is knocking on the doorsteps more and more we're being taken to task because of our faith in Jesus Christ you better know God if you're going to claim to be a Christian you better really know him 
have that deep relationship with him. If you're not right with God, you're not going to be ready to handle the pressure and, and the responsibilities of ministry. And for you to be ready, you've got to do a spiritual checkup on a regular basis. Every day, you need to check your heart. Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right, and God will save you and those who hear you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. But notice what he says in verse 21. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a utensil that God can use for his purpose. Your life will be clean. And you will be ready for the master to use for every to use you for every good work. No matter where you lead, you got to be right in your heart, ready to serve God. You got to be clean in your heart and have clean hands. Leaders need to be ready. Something else he says, he says effective leaders also are required that you personally shepherd the group that you've been entrusted uh, with to care for. That could be your family, that could be your Bible study class, that could be people you work with, that could be a small group, a ministry team, it could be your children, it could be your youth. Look at what he says in verse 28. He said, be sure that you feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his blood, over whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders or as leaders. Got a great book on leadership written by Dr. Lynn Anderson, and he writes in there, in the body of Christ, we all play the role of shepherd to someone. You play the role of shepherd as you parent your children in the faith or teach a Sunday school class. You're a shepherd when you disciple a new fellow or a fellow Christian. Older men and women shepherd as they mentor young men and women. You shepherd as you lead small, your small groups or lead a friend to Christ. In some way... We all have that opportunity to lead. Uh, I've learned through the years also that a true shepherd will always smell like his sheep. That's right. As a leader, the only way you're ever going to smell like them is if you spend time with them. You've got to invest in your flock. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to build healthy relationships. You need to know them by name. And they need to know you by name. Names are important. Amen? Amen? Do we really believe that? Amen. We should. That's why we have name tags. Do you know everybody in this church by name? Anybody know everybody by name? I doubt very seriously that I could name every one of you without stopping. I'd try, but I'd probably fail. Names are important. Look at what Jesus had to say about names. He says, a shepherd enters through the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by what? By name, not number. He didn't say, hey, you, come here. He calls them by name, and he leads them out. Names are important. That's why we wear name tags. I'm preaching here. I'm stepping on your toes. If you have a name tag, you need to wear it. Why? 
because people need to know who you are. I promise you this. If a new person comes into our building and, and we welcome them and greet them, they're going to tell us what their name is, right? And if they can see your name tag, they'll possibly remember your name. But the next week when they come back, if you go up to them or you see them walk in the door, if they don't get a name tag on, you're going to go, oh, I, I know that name, but I, ah. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to go around them instead of go to them. Why? Because you don't want to be embarrassed because you don't remember their name. But if they got a name tag on and you got a name tag on, you can very easily go, hey, Brother Randy, how are you doing? And not just say, hey, preacher. See, I know why y'all call me preacher sometimes. It's because you can't remember my name. <laughs> See, I ain't dumb. I figured that out a long time ago. That's why I wear a name tag. I'm hoping that after 15 years you'll know who I am. I'm kidding. Names are important. I think I've made my point. He says here, he goes on in verse 4, he says, After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they recognize his voice. True shepherd leaders know how to touch their sheep. They know how to care for them. They can carry them, feed them, guide them. They spend time with them. And to that extent, they smell like them. Uh, something I heard from John Maxwell a long time ago, I actually heard this in one of his teleconferences. He said, if you think you're a leader, look over your shoulder, and if nobody's following you, guess what? You're just taking a walk. <laughs> a lot of people think they're leaders and they're not. But if you can gather a flock, you can lead. A third thing Paul says. It's also important that you defend and protect those to whom you're responsible for. There's far more to leading people than just feeding them and, and leading them. You must protect them from those who are going to do them harm. In our text today, Paul knew that as soon as he left the Ephesian church, that false teachers were going to come in and take over and, and try to lead those people astray. Now, how did he know that? Well, he already had gotten word that that kind of thing had taken place down in Corinth and over in Galatia. He knew that wherever and whenever the truth is taught, Satan can be expected to uh, show up and make an attempt to counter Everything that's been taught that's true with lies. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. Paul says here, I know full well that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some of you will distort the truth in order to draw a following. You're going to try to pull some away and take them in a direction that you want to lead them. As leaders, there are two very important things that you need to be able to do to protect your flock from those that would do them harm. First and foremost, you have to watch out for the enemy. You got to have spiritual eyes looking to know what's happening around you. Peter says, be careful and watch out for the attacks of the devil, your great enemy, for he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Not only do you have to watch out for the enemy, but you have to warn those that you're responsible for. How many times have we seen danger, Christian, and we didn't say anything? 
How many times did we see the, the, the enemy knocking at somebody's door and we just kind of backed away and let it go? We, we cannot be afraid to speak up. We have to be able to warn those who are in danger. We need somebody warning us, amen? amen. We need to be those who will warn when we see the danger coming. Verse 31, Paul says, watch out and remember the three years that I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. He said, I warned you over and over again because I was watching and I was willing to give you a warning. Paul did everything he could to protect them even as he prepared to leave. And that is what a true leader does. In verse 32, we see that Paul talks about how you must also commit yourself to being a devoted disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's an important question. Just how important do you think the supernatural component of leadership is? If you're going to be a leader, how important is the God factor? Do you need God to lead? Billy Hybels writes, beyond the gift of leadership, Beyond the skills and talents required, beyond the decades of experience, is there anything more that we as leaders need? Is it really all that important for leaders to walk in vital union with Jesus Christ? Do you need God to lead? Absolutely. Absolutely. Vance Pittman said, my greatest responsibility is intimacy with God. For out of that intimacy with God comes all opportunities to lead and to minister if leaders don't spend time with God on a regular basis if you don't have a healthy relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ if it grows cold and distance guess what you're not going to have any power you're not going to have any effectiveness there's going to be no blessing no direction no fruitfulness in ministry we need that close relationship with the Lord Jesus said remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be uh, fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And those that remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, folks, I see a lot of people that are busy. And there have been times in my life when I was very busy. You, you can be busy working and doing things. But nothing of eternal significance is going to be accomplished if you're not connected with the Lord Jesus Christ on a regular basis. I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about being empowered through that relationship that is strong and healthy. Paul says, and now I entrust you to God and the word of his grace, his message that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. The apostle Paul could have said just about anything, but he chose to entrust them to God and to the word of the Lord. Now, why did he do that? Well, it was because God's word offers the sweet words of his amazing grace they are strengthening words that can build you up, secure words that can speak of your eternal inheritance, and they're sanctifying words of truth. That's why he said what he said to them. Do you remember how Jesus prayed for his disciples? It's important that we know. 
Look with me at John 17, 17. He says, make them pure. He's talking to the Father above. He says, Father, make them pure and holy by teaching them your words of truth. There are two things that every spiritual leader needs to do to be committed to the Lord. First is you need to have a consistent study of God's word in your life. Again, Paul said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How many meals did you eat this week? Can we all say more than we needed? Amen? Yeah. How many times did we open up our Bible? I assure you, we fed our bodies far more than we fed our spirit. But what is the most important? What did Jesus die for? Did he die for your body or your soul? Your soul. We need to feed it accordingly. We also need to be faithful to pray. The example, the perfect example is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark records that early the next morning while it was still dark, you get that? While it was still dark, not 10 o'clock in the morning, not 11 o'clock in the morning, but while it was still dark, Jesus woke and he left the house and he went alone to a lonely place where he prayed. How many times do we not pray until we are just about to close our eyes and then in the midst of trying to pray, we fall asleep? As you can see, Jesus disciplined himself to be wise with his time. He made having a time of prayer and solitude a top priority in life, and so must every leader. It's a prerequisite if you're going to lead in the way that God would have you to leave in any kind of role within the church. Bob Brunier said, Prayer and solitude do not cut into a leader's time or lessen his or her effectiveness. They add to and multiply that effectiveness. Prayer is where the battle of life, the battles of life are won and lost. Our praying to God demonstrates to him how much we trust him. He already knows what our situation is. But when we pray, we're showing him we care that you care. We care that you'll be there for us. It reveals our dedication to him to being a disciple of the Lord. I don't pray enough. None of us do. If we could just sit down and figure out how much time we spend on a cell phone, and calculate that and then coordinate that and spend that much time talking to God, we'd be the most powerful church in the world. Paul closes by saying that an effective leader must also be a good steward of God's blessings. Very important that we be good stewards. I remember, I remember Dr. J.W. Lee setting me down one time in fact, it was uh, the night that Joyce and I drove to Graceful to spend that evening with Dr. Lee and his wife, Miss Joyce. He was married to a Joyce, too. Dr. Lee looked at me, and he had us 
took us out to eat and then he brought us back to the house and we didn't go sit in the den. We sat in the formal living room. This was a very important time in our life and he wasn't going to miss it. And I remember Dr. Lee looking at me and he said, son, if God will let you go do anything but be a preacher, you go do it. If God will let you do anything but be a pastor, go do it. Why? Because ministry is difficult. It's not easy. So many pastors don't survive, let alone thrive. Many quit. A lot of times pastors drop out of the ministry because their wife and kids cannot take it. They cannot endure the pressure. Being a leader of any kind is tough. Most times when you lead, it's lonely. Maxwell says it's lonely at the top, so you'd better know why you're there. I remember Dr. Lee saying to us in a class one day, he said, men, if you're looking for a a 40-hour-a-week job and if you're getting into ministry for the money, you better go get you a real job. He knew what he was talking about. He was a pastor of pastors. If you have it in your mind to have a truly God-honoring ministry, then you need to focus on giving and not on getting. Why? Because God will not bless your ministry if you're preoccupied with the pursuit of money. I've noticed over the years that I was on the executive board at the state with all the church planners we had coming right right fresh out of school. They were looking for a good deal. A lot of them. I sat in those interviews and I saw the wives. Sometimes when we talked about finances, how they went, "Mm, we can't do this. When you think about serving the Lord and think about giving and getting, don't make the mistake of confusing wealth with blessings because Some of the most blessed people I know in our world, they don't have two nickels to rub together. We sometimes think, well, the hand of God is on that person because they got a lot of money. No, not necessarily. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. The writer of Hebrews said, stay away from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God said, I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. Anyone who cares about the group of people that you are leading must not live your life with a tight fist, but instead with loose hands. The blessings of God need to flow through your hands into their hands. If you truly love somebody and you're a shepherd, then you learn how to take care of their needs above your own. Men, you hear me? Spiritual leaders of the home, you need to be taking care of your family before yourself. We need to learn how to be a blessing with what God's blessed us with. If you look into the scripture, you'll find that a very careful study of the Old Testament false teachers always portrayed them as people who loved money. They were sticky-fingered people. They were greedy. 
And that was always a problem. In Isaiah chapter 56, God speaks about his leaders, those that would, should be leading the correct way. But listen to what he says. For the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds, are blind to every danger. They are like silent watchdogs. I read over that probably a dozen times this week. But this morning as I was reading over that, it hit me. Silent watchdogs. What good is a silent watchdog? If he can't bark, he's not a watchdog. What good is he? He says they are like silent watchdogs that give no warning when danger comes. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. And they are as greedy as dogs, never satisfied. They are stupid shepherds, all following their own path, all of them intent on personal gain. God help us. We don't need leaders like that. Peter writes in their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago and their destruction is on the way. You take time and look back at Paul's ministry, it's easy to see that his ministry was not characterized by self-seeking materialism. He says, I have never coveted anyone's money or fine clothing. You know that these hands of mine have worked hard to pay my own way and I have even supplied the needs of those who were with me. Paul wasn't in the ministry for money. He wasn't. And he reminded them them of that. He said, you've seen my ministry to you. Three years I was with you. I was a self-employed tent maker. But he also reminded them that Paul had, he had every right as do any leader to receive the support for their ministry. First Corinthians, Paul writes that. He says, the Lord gave orders that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet Paul says, I never used any of these rights. Notice how he appeals to them to follow his example in verse 35. He said, I have been a constant example of how you can help the poor by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I found it rather interesting that this is the only place in Scripture outside the gospel that records the actual words of Jesus. Therefore, I believe because of that, it gives significant weight to the truth that it reveals. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What's the best way to give? Out of your abundance or out of your need? Out of your need, not out of your abundance. There's no sacrifice if you give out of your abundance. The Lord wants us to sacrifice it should cost us when we give to the Lord. Remember the example David had? David was looking for a piece of land to build an altar to worship God. He finds one. He approaches the guy that owns it. He tries to buy it, and the guy wants to give it to him. And he said, oh, no, look with me, First Chron First Chronicles 21, 24. But the king replied to Aruna. No, I insist on paying what it's worth. I cannot take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not offer a burnt offering that has cost me nothing. 
He knew the value of sacrificing for the Lord. David understood that leadership is always expensive. It is. As a leader, there's always a price to pay if you're going to lead. Anyone desiring to be a leader needs to understand that leadership is a draining experience. The demand on your time and your attention oftentimes leaves you without any time for yourself. So as a leader, you cannot and you will not help others until you first give of yourself. Leadership is costly. It's costly. Something else that Maxwell wrote, these are some powerful words. He says, unfortunately, people stop giving when the price gets too high. Hmm. Maybe that's why in so many churches today there's not enough of what is needed. It's not provided. Hey, can you, can you think about this just for a minute? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't think it was too expensive or that our soul our lost soul was costing too much too much for him to go to the cross he was willing to pay that price was he not amen he was thank God that he was as Paul closes out this letter I want you to look at how the people that he led and ministered to loved him look at verse 36 with me It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt and he prayed for them. And they wept aloud as they embraced him in farewell, sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. And they accompanied him down to the ship. Great leaders know how to impact and encourage the people that follow them. And I'm, I'm pleased to say, and I, I hope you understand, that everybody in this room has an opportunity to impact somebody's life, to make a difference in somebody's life. You can be the godly leader that God wants you to be. Well, Brother Randy, how can I be a better leader for God? How can I be used of God to lead? I believe you can do that by accepting this challenge of leadership you need to do what you need to do to be right with the Lord, first of all. That's the very first thing that all of us need to do is be right in our heart with God. You can commit yourself to shepherding whatever group. You know, sometimes we, we want a bigger group. We, we, we think, hey, I only got three or four people here in my class. That's not very many. They're not that important. But they are. Amen? We need to shepherd whatever group that God has given us to lead. We need to protect them and we need to make sure that they're okay and they're taken care of. And we need to take serious responsibility to be a devoted disciple of the Lord, to be a growing disciple every day of our life. And we need to be good stewards of all that God has blessed us with. Why? It's a whole lot more blessed. You're a whole lot more blessed when you give than when you give. Jesus taught us that. Aren't we blessed? Amen. Amen? Then let's turn that around and be a blessing for God. Think about whose life you can impact this week. And over the next month, and maybe over the next six months to a year, everybody's shadow cast on somebody. There's somebody watching you. There's somebody in the edges of your life that needs a strong leader, somebody that will invest in them and love them and care for them and minister to them and shepherd them. Everybody has an opportunity to be a leader of some kind. The question is, what kind of leader do we want to be? 
That's the challenge this morning. Be a godly leader. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful that the greatest example of leadership we'll ever see was in your son Jesus Christ. He walked this earth thinking about us, thinking about how he could help us to become everything that you desired for us to be. He was willing to pay the price, the ultimate price. He stayed close to you in prayer. He spent time with you. He knew how important that was. He walked in a way that you had sent him to walk. He never sinned. He lived his life as an example. And then when it came time for him to pay that ultimate price, he went to the cross and he gave his life. He gave everything so that others could benefit from his sacrifice. Lord, we're here today because of what he did. And I thank you, Lord, for the plan that you had to save our souls. God, thank you so much that you give us an opportunity to be like him. And you, in fact, promised us that you would shape us into the image of your son. And my prayer, God, as we close out today is whatever you need to do in any of us to help us be like Jesus. Lord, whatever that is, I pray that you'll give us an open heart so that you can shape us and change us into who you want us to be. We all have great potential. There are none of us that are throwaways. You died so that all of us could have an opportunity to be with you for eternity. And God, we pray that you'll do that work this morning. Even in our midst, God, reign, be Lord, be supreme God. Magnify yourself and, Lord, be praised through our obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.